Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Today we have, this is J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler, as we are going to talk about the Rule 5 draft, the winter meetings in general, and just a little bit of kind of what's going on in baseball as we get ready for, it kind of slows down a little bit here with Christmas coming, I guess, for at least a couple of days. I know it certainly doesn't slow down right here in our no. office right now. Uh, you know, we're getting ready to put the prospect handbook to press right now. So uh, taking a little break right now to talk a little Rule 5 draft and you know some of the goings-on from the, the trades during the winter meetings today. So with the Rule 5, we'll start off with that. You know, Terrell Young, uh, Reds right-hander, was the number one pick. It was a relatively – I mean, there there were a lot of guys taken – I don't know if this is going to be a, a Rule 5 draft. I, I guess my take is is that I think this is a Rule 5 draft that when we look back on it, I don't expect that we'll go, wow, you know, that was when Johan San, you know, the next Johan Santana was taken or the next Joaquin Soria. But, you know, I, I do think there'll probably be a number of guys who, who end up sticking at least for a little while out of this. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, to be able to, to predict if there is going to be a Johan yeah. Santana, you know, obviously the... <laughs> You know, Johan Santana would, would have been protected on the 40-man roster if, if we had known at the time yeah. that he would become Johan Santana. Uh, I, I think when you look at a guy like Terrell Young, you know, number one pick in the the Rule 5 draft, how does he compare to Soria? You know, I think there were, you know, a little bit more high expectations for, for Soria uh, when he was picked compared to Young. Uh, you know, certainly a lot of arm strength with Young, but I, I, I agree there's, there's certainly some, some usable parts here, uh, some guys with some upside, but obviously some... Uh, some some pretty significant questions as well to them. But, you know, I, I think there's some of these guys who can fit into a, you know, a part-time role and, you know, maybe they stick this year in the big leagues, maybe go down for a little bit of, of, of a little more time in the farm system and maybe in 2010 uh, just to get a little bit more seasoning too uh, and then maybe develop into regular big leaguers in, in time. It's interesting. One of the things to me, and, and I want to at some point research this more extensively and I've never found the time to do that, but, there used to be, it seemed like, that there were a lot of athletic, you know, basically undeveloped guys who had taken the Rule 5, especially middle infielders. And I think teams have kind of wisened up that that almost never works because if you take kind of that, you know, that shortstop, I think uh, uh, I think it was the Jose Cruz from the Brewers was the number one pick like in 2002, 2003. Those guys almost always, they lose that year of development time by sitting in the big leagues and getting, you know, 75, 100 at-bats. It does seem like now that teams are taking more, like, the the MOs either are arms, you know, pitchers, you know, you can put a guy in the pen, and he really doesn't lose development because he does get some opportunities to kind of do what he wants to, you know, to learn pitching in the, out of the pen. Or the position players in general are guys who you look at more as, they don't may not be the highest ceiling guys in the world, but you do look at them and say, okay, this guy could serve as a backup, and maybe he's just a cheap backup you get for the major league minimum. And I think actually it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because the Padres took uh, Everett Cabrera this year. You know their philosophy in the Rule Five Draft and in previous years has kind of been to try to you know shore up their bullpen. You know, guy like uh, Carlos Guevara or, or some of the other guys that they've taken in recent years uh, versus Cabrera, who's a you know a toolsy 
uh, you know, not super tools. He's just got a lot of speed, uh, a good glove at shortstop. But you know, he was in the South Atlantic League last year, and, and you're expecting him to make a a jump of of three levels now, jump over high A, double A, and triple A all the way to the big leagues. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough for him to to make that jump. I would think compared to a guy uh, like Luis Perdomo, you know, a, a right-handed pitcher who can you know pitch and and get right-handed batters out because he has excellent stuff. Uh, and kind of hide him in that role and, and kind of bring him along that way. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was interesting to see the Padres do that this year and kind of, you know, go away from that philosophy from, right. from that's recent the, years. That's the ones I don't, I don't understand going that way in some ways because, like, with Carrera, when you do that, I, next year, like, say you keep him on your roster all year, which means essentially that you're playing almost a half man down in some ways because, I mean, yeah, there aren't, not that there aren't some roles like, okay, you can put him in a pinch run, you can put him in to play defense, you know, late, innings maybe occasionally but I just see what those guys especially a guy making that jump from low A uh, a year from now he's going to be further behind he's already he's in low A basically at the mm-hmm. age where he can be eligible for the rule 5 draft and then next year he'll be essentially a further year away having not really had any chance to develop except for maybe winter ball I, I, it, I think it's really hard if that if he does stick it's really hard for those guys to ever develop anything offensively because that lost year of, of at-bats, you need that 400 at-bats that you're going to get in the minors that you're not going to get. I, I agree with you. The one thing, though, is that I think the Padres are, might be a good fit for if, if any team is going <laughs> to take a, a chance on him. You know, the Padres probably are not going to be in contention in, in 2009. No. Uh, so maybe you do take a chance on a guy like that, maybe a guy with a little bit of upside. You know, to see the Pirates do that with Donald Veal. Uh, you know, I watched Donald Veal's last start of the year, and uh, you know he, he and in Double A this year, and he had about as as not just poor control, but he wasn't hitting anywhere even near the the catcher's glove. Uh, he he just was all over the place. He was, you know, 90 to 91 in the first inning, and settled in around 88, 89 in the second inning, because uh, he'd probably racked up about 40 to 50 pitches at that point. So you know, it, it certainly wasn't you know the the impressive stuff that we had seen out of him out of a, a couple of years ago. Uh, so I, I don't think most teams would would take a chance on him. But if you're the Pirates, you know why not why not take a chance on him and you know see what you can see what you can have there. Maybe maybe Joe Kerrigan can can fix him. You know who knows what you have there. Uh, so maybe for a team like the Padres or, or the Pirates, uh, you know sometimes those kind of gambles can pay off in in the future if you have that kind of you know flexibility and, and patience to to wait it out to be able to contend in, in later years rather than just in 2009. Yeah, that's the question I was going to ask is, so who do you, out of the Major League Rule 5 draft today, who, you know, is there a guy that jumps out to you as, hey, I really like that pick. I think this is a guy who, either, you know, a talent who could develop into something or a guy who, you know, hey, that guy can contribute right now at least, you know, in a limited role. Well, I think the two guys who, who jump out to me were the, the second pick overall, uh, Rigi Corona, a middle infielder with the Yankees. Uh, selected by the the Seattle Mariners, you know he was a guy. You know we, we talked about the the toolsy middle infielders. I don't think Corona's necessarily a, a very toolsy player, uh, but he was. You know compared to Cabrera, who was in A ball in in low A, uh, Corona was in Double A, and he was only 21, uh, 21 years old. So for him to make the jump from Double A to to the majors it isn't quite as steep as what Cabrera is going to have to do. You know Corona's not going to hit for a lot of power, but he'll. He'll fill in. He'll play good defense. He'll get on base. You know, maybe hit for a little bit of average, and who knows? Maybe a few years down the line, you know, he he develops a little bit more power and gets a little more strength, 
Lawrence to be able to drive the ball and can be a real weapon in the middle of the infield if you guy if you have a guy who can just get on base a little bit and and play good defense. Uh, so I, I like that pick. The other pick I like was a guy I mentioned earlier, Perdomo, taken number six overall by uh, the Giants from the the Cardinals. You know, I was really surprised that the Cardinals didn't protect him. You know, this is a guy that they just traded Anthony Reyes for uh, just a few months ago, and now they might have just lost him to the to the to the Giants for basically amounting to a, tr- uh, a selling of Anthony Reyes for fifty thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, kind that's, of a that's a cheap rate for Anthony Reyes. So you know, Perdomo is a guy ninety three to ninety four mile an hour fastball out of the bullpen and a nasty slider anywhere from the mid to to high eighties. And if you look at his his splits throughout his career, he's he's much much better against right handed pitchers. You know, I, I wouldn't I, I probably wouldn't use him against lefties too much this year. Uh, if I were the Giants, but you know he can come in and get right-handed batters out. You know he's he still got to work on his control a little bit, but uh, you know he, he's a guy who, who I was surprised was still available and and not surprised at all uh, that he was taken. So I think that was a good pickup for for the Giants. The uh, the guy that jumps out to me, and I, I mean I, there's a chance that he will you know will end up in spring training seeing this guy you know sent back to the Twins, but. I really like the uh, the pick of Jose Lugo, who was actually taken by the Royals, but then they immediately sold him to the uh, to the Mariners. When I was doing the you know the Florida State League, when I was doing the Florida State League calls, he was one of those guys who's not in any way a finished product yet. But if you talk about pure stuff, you know, 91 up to 95, you know, with the fastball, has some you know ha- has a breaking pitch that at times you know breaking ball that at times is you know is something, and from the left side. Especially like you, you talk about a guy like that, and you do put him in a role. Like for this year, you just say, okay, you know, we're not going to use you, you know, in a high, you know, leverage role, but you can come in the sixth inning and basically throw gas from the left side. And a year from now, you send him back down, you know, to the minors. Because if you talked about all the pitchers that the Twins had in, in, you know, the Florida State League, and they had some guys, if you talked about pure upside, Lugo was sitting there, was, you know, right up there with any of them that they had there. He's a guy who has a chance that you can say, okay, if you have some patience with him, you're talking about a lefty who could, you know, down the road be, you know, he's got a fastball that a lefty with a fastball like that you don't often find in the Rule 5 draft. So I think he could be interesting. I'll be fascinated to see with James Skelton, uh, Tigers catcher who was uh, picked by the Diamondbacks. He was a guy also at Florida State League. I, you know, have my bias for my Florida State League guys. Guy can hit. Everyone question every question about him is is that basically you see him behind the plate and you go there's just no way this guy's too small this guy's too skinny he's gonna wear down but he's always you know he's got an arm you know he can actually you know and he can hit and so catchers you know it, it doesn't it's often a position that's very hard for a young guy to even do it if he's not picked up in the Rule Five draft but we did see a couple of years ago with the Nationals and what they did uh, with uh, Jesus Flores you know they snagged from the Mets. It can occasionally can happen. I don't think Skelton's in any way a talent like Flores was. Flores was a, I mean, Flores was kind of baffling as like a top fifteen prospect in the uh, Mets system. But I do think Skelton's a guy who at least has some attributes that are pretty good. I think he'll probably, like most of these guys, end up being sent back. But he's an intriguing guy. Like I'll be interested to watch, see what happens with him in spring training. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at the the strike zone discipline that he has, and then you know you look at the Diamondbacks catching situation. You know, you hear him. You know, in rumors possibly trading some of their guys to the big league level, but you know, if you look at the guys in their minor league level, the the Diamondbacks catching situation, uh, it's really not not very good. Uh, you know, they have Ross Mel Perez a little bit 
lower in the the minor leagues. He he caught in in the Pioneer League this year, but uh, you know the the Diamondbacks. I I think there is some of the catching in the minor leagues is is not not one of the strengths of their farm system right now. So if Skelton can come in and, and he can stick with the big league club, you know it's certainly a certainly an advantage for them to have a, another young catcher who's 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 big league ready or, or near big league ready at least right now. You know the the interesting thing with that though at the same time is is that he's coming out of a tiger system. I think we both agree that the tigers, you know the tigers depth in the minors is, is very thin. It's kind of hard to imagine that a guy who's you know who's not who would not have ranked in the Tigers top 10 could stick you know it, it's it's kind of a little baffling to me if he does but if it is you know sometimes teams just evaluate their talent you know they sometimes you know they're if he does stick I think that would be a case that the the Tigers did misevaluate their talent you know because like okay well, we thought this guy would get through or we didn't think he'd you know turn into anything yeah and you see that I mean the the Tigers themselves the you know they left Skelton unprotected and then they take Kyle Bloom a left-hander from the Pirates you know you don't think the, the of the Pirates is having a a great farm system themselves but you know obviously the Tigers kept a spot open and, and then they were able to, to take Kyle Bloom uh you know Donald Veal in the Cubs system the Cubs are also probably you know not one of the strongest farm systems right now in baseball but and then the Pirates uh, get veal from the Cubs. So, you know, sometimes, you know, guys can, teams yeah, can it's, find. It's one of those things where it's funny because I, I know some of the comments we saw on the day of the Rule 5 draft. Having a number of guys taken in the Rule 5 draft doesn't necessarily mean that much about how much depth you have in the organization. Like, that's the one thing I think, you know, uh, you know, I mean, we saw some Yankees, you know, I saw some you know, comments from Yankees fans like, wow, you know, we really must have a lot of talent in the, in the minor leagues, which the Yankees do have talent in the minor leagues. But having guys taken in the Rule 5 draft, you know, I was talking to Aaron Fit. you know, I'll, I do the Reds organization, Aaron, you know, Aaron does the Nationals as we finish up the Prospect Handbook. And he was kind of talking about Terrell Young. And he's like, well, was Young going to make your top 30? And it's like, no. I mean, he, you know, he's a guy who's basically in five years and he's still an a ball and he's had some command difficulties he's got a great arm but you know just so far away and kind of so much to project on him that no he wasn't going to make it that's the thing you know i mean we, we're fascinated with the rule five draft everyone else is obviously fascinated with the rule five draft at the same time generally what we are talking about here is guys who are not top 30 prospects even in some cases they are but in a lot of these cases are not top 30 prospects getting picked who then they're taken in the Rule 5 draft, and all of a sudden, you know, there's kind of this cachet of, hey, they must be a pretty good prospect. No, not, you know, there's something interesting there, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're a top 30 guy, even after the draft, you know, even after the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're obviously not talking about the the cream of the crop here, but, uh, you know, these these are guys who can fill in a lot of times and be the, the 24th, 25th man on a, a big league roster and, and maybe contribute. You know, you look through the history of the Rule 5 drafts, and, you know, we all want to talk about, you know who's the next Johan Santana or Soria or or Dan Ugla, but but usually, uh, in most cases, it doesn't. It's who's the next to, guy who was offered back for twenty five thousand yeah, dollars two weeks into spring training. Yeah, usually it's who is you know who is this guy uh, or who was this guy who was drafted in in two thousand five in the Rule Five draft. One thing we started talking about catchers. I wanted to get to is is that uh, uh, if you go to baseballamerica.com slash blog slash prospects right now, Ben has a uh, post just put up yesterday on caught stealing percentages for for catchers now i should say caught stealing percentages for catching prospects we didn't it wasn't a ranking of here's the top caught stealing percentages of anyone in the minors it was more of a focus on of the guys who actually you know are prospects 
But what when you did that, what kind of did anything jump out to you as as surprising? Did any anyone kind of wow that that was, you know, a little better than I thought for that reputate for his reputation, or a little worse than I thought for his reputation defensively? You know, I think the one guy who stands out and and he is he's kind of fascinating to me is is Pablo Sandoval. He's just fascinating in every way. I mean, he, he is fascinating. He's just a go in terms of his offense. I mean, to be able to find a guy like that who who rarely strikes out and hits for a tremendous power and is, is doing so right now in Venezuela. Uh, did it, I mean, truly, in his case, you can say did it at every pretty much every level of baseball this year. He did it in A ball, he did it in double A, he did it in triple A, he did it in the big leagues, and now he's doing it in winter ball. He, he, is, he is fascinating to me, and, and doing it all as a, as a catcher, uh, you, know, his, you know, he's 5'11", he's 245 pounds, uh, he's, he's built like a rock. Uh, he's very... He's just a, a big, you know, heavy but strong heavy guy. Uh, but he's also extremely coordinated. I mean, he throws he throws right-handed. He can throw left. He can throw left-handed curveballs. I mean, this guy has phenomenal hand-eye coordination, and just uh, it's really he's really just an intriguing guy. So you know, there's a lot of talk about him. You know, moving to, to first base. But when you look at you know the last couple of years, I think he threw almost out almost 50 percent of runners in 2007. And this year he was again one of the best, you know, one of the best catchers in the league at, at throwing out runners. And you know, like I say online, it's the the ranking. Think of it just as a, a ranking of guys by, you know, any statistic, batting average, on base right. percentage. It's, it's one little snapshot. It doesn't. You know, it's it's just a it's just a number. You know, that's that's obviously why we you know we we talk to scouts about all these guys and and go through those lens to, to talk about these guys. But this is just a record of, you know, of what they did this year. You know, maybe, you know, it might have been that the San Jose pitching staff was excellent at holding runners on or they had a lot of left-handed uh, pitchers or something like that. Uh, but but on the other hand, you know, Sandoval's now done this back-to-back years. And the other thing that I'm going to talk about... he did about it at a, two levels. I mean, he did it, you mm-hmm. know, it's not... I mean, he ranked third among basically all the prospects that you looked at. I mean, he was third, you know... In the minors, he's got a great arm too. So, uh, you know, the I think the the scouting reports back it up. You know, what's what's interesting to me about him is that you know he also didn't commit a, too many pass balls this year. So he he didn't really let that many balls. You know, he, he's not going to be a guy who gets lets too many balls go go by him to the backstop. You know, maybe again that's because the you know the, the San Jose pitching staff did have guys like Tim Alderson and and Kevin Pusatis, guys with good control. So if the guys are throwing fewer balls in the dirt, it gives them you know maybe fewer opportunities for. For the pass balls, but, and you don't want to give him too much credit for this, but also, I mean, when it comes to calling a game and all, I mean, he's obviously was working with you know with some good you know some very good pitchers, but they had one of the best pitching staffs in the minors, also as far as production. I mean, they basically mm-hmm. were among I think they had one point had you know four guys in the top ten in the Cal League in ERA. He's the guy behind the he was guy you know behind the plate for a while you know for a good while with that I mean I don't want to give him too much credit for that but it's also like it doesn't seem like that he was calling a terrible game when he was mm-hmm. out there either unless they were shaking him off left and right yeah and so I mean you have you have all of that information and you have all that going for him uh it sounds like there's just concerns about you know whether his body is going to hold up and, and be able to catch you know I yeah it sounds like they're going to move him at first base maybe even third base he, he did play third base before uh, I, I don't know about his if he's ideally suited to third, you know, you'd like to have his arm strength over there, certainly. You know, but he's a guy, who, you know, why not let him catch? You, know, you can't have your catcher catch, you know, 162 games in the big leagues because it just hasn't been done. I think it's, the Dodgers are trying to yeah. see if you can do it, and they're finding out that, you know, I don't care how good you are, you, you'll 
guys will wear down. So you got to have your backup catcher catch at least, you know, a quarter of your games. You know, why not give those opportunities to Sandoval and, and get his bat into the lineup that way and keep your first baseman's bat in the lineup as well? I'd like to see him catch for, you know, they have Buster Posey in the system too. You know, eventually I think you worry about that a little bit down the line or, you know, if, if Sandoval ends up not being able to, to catch it down the line because of his weight or, or his, his, his knees can't handle the load. I think you worry about it later down the line, but I'd like to see him, you know, be able to continue yeah, I, catching for a little bit at least. I, I don't see, to me, I understand completely when you have a guy and it's like he can't do it. Like, I understand, like, if you're the Brewers right now and you think that Matt Gamble is ready offensively to help you and you say, okay, he'll kill us at third base if we put him out there at third base. And I can understand if, if that's the situation saying, okay, we're going to move this guy to a – you know, to a less taxing and also less valuable position where Matt Gamble's bat will be less valuable if he's, you know, a first baseman or a left fielder or whatever. But if you have a guy who is at least now doing the job, like if you look at Sandoval and say, yeah, he's not a guy we want to put out there 125 games at catcher, but you know what? We could be okay with this guy at catcher. Why move him before you have to? Why? Yeah, I completely agree. Like if he can catch, he's much more valuable for you you know, even if he is, yeah, a backup catcher who catches, you know, 35, 45 games, plays a little bit of first base, you know, pinch hits some. I mean, serving that kind of role with, you know, with being a catcher, that's much more valuable than just moving into first base and saying, okay, you know. Just hey, plop down at first yeah. base the whole season. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's going to, you know, if you do need to move him down the road, it's not like he won't be able to pick up first base. I mean, that's not – something where you're cutting something off, you know, of, hey, he won't be able to handle that transition down the road. And not only that, it's not something where you look at it and say, in his case, I mean, he's shown that he can hit while catching. It's not something where you say, you know what, we're going to move him because clearly the demands of the position and learning the position is affecting his bat. I mean, it, it hadn't up to now. Oh, the bat's out. I think the bat, eh, I think the bat would play perfectly fine at first base. Oh, yeah. I think he'd be an outstanding hitter there. But obviously when you, have, when you can have that production at, at catcher, Right. It's, I mean, I, I don't see why not at least let him try it out there. And especially when you don't have, I mean, the Giants aren't sitting in a situation right now where you go, you know what, they're they're one, you know, they're one spot away from, uh, you know, basically from, uh, you know, from being a, uh, you know, a World Series contender. They're not. I mean, this is the time where they can basically, you know, kind of see, you know, hey, can he do it? And if he can, you're in great shape. You've got a much more valuable, you know, commodity. And if not, Hey, you can always slide him over to first base even midway through the season. But uh, anyone else, like, on the other side, did anyone jump out? It's like, wow, you know, I mean, his reputation's pretty good, and he didn't throw out a whole lot of guys. Or, nope, that just backs up what we've been hearing about, you know, this guy really is, does struggle behind the plate. Well, well, well one guy I think is uh, on that list who's a little bit lower. And, and again, you know, this is why we say it's just a, it's just a, a number. It's basically just a, a record of their performance. Uh, you know, the same way if a guy doesn't necessarily hit in A ball, we don't write him right. off as a prospect. We don't say he's not going to hit later on down the line. Uh, Carlos Santana, I, I mean, I won't say it surprised me because I, I did the Indians list this year. Uh, but if you look at some of his, you know, defensive numbers this year, the numbers necessarily aren't necessarily that great. But he's a guy who was just converted to catcher this right. year. Uh, so, or, or last year, I should say, and you, you know, you, you don't you don't just learn catcher in a year necessarily. Uh, it's it's a tough position to pick up, uh, and and be able to learn how to hit and, at the professional level. And as well. that, that's the thing that impressed me with Santana is is that he was able to, you know, I mean, catchers are, is catching's a position where, 
there's a lot of, you know, scouting cliches. And one of them is, is you know, well, catchers, you know, you, you got to give them longer. And I really do think that is true. Like, you can see a lot of big league catchers who, if you go back and look at it, it's like, okay, that guy did take, the bat took a little longer to come along because there's so much to mastering catching mm-hmm. that it, you know, you don't get the same. I mean, if you're, you know, yeah, if you're a first baseman, you're really, you're working on hitting 90% of the time. I mean, okay, you know, you take your infield and all that, but unless you're an absolute butcher over there, your main focus is every day, you know, as you go up through the minors is, okay, i got to make sure I hit. Catching, there's so much to, you know, so much to the defense aspect that I do think a lot of times it takes a little longer. In in Santana's case, he kept hitting even as he is, you know, trying to learn, you know, what is really the most difficult defensive position out there. And what's encouraging for him, too, is, you know, the maybe the numbers aren't there defensively, but, you know, the tools are all there. He's got a, he's got a great throwing arm. He's quick. He's agile behind the plate. You know, scouts, you talk to them from other teams, and, you know, one of the things that stands out to him that's, as a positive is his defense. So I think it's just a kind of a temporary thing where right now, uh, you know, you wouldn't put him back there on a major league team. Uh, even if he did have a, a major league ready bat right now, just because his defense isn't quite ready, you know, right now. But with with more development, more repetition, that's the thing with catcher too. I was talking to a scout about that this year. Uh, we were talking about a, another player actually on this list uh, down there too. But you know, one of the things with catching is you can get better at catching every day because you're always catching bullpens, you're always catching in a game. Uh, you know, you're always you're always experiencing. You, you can always get more repetitions behind the plate. You can always practice your catching and, and your skills like that. Uh, so it's it's one it's one position where you can get a lot of a lot of repetition and a lot more a lot more time to improve there, uh, just on an everyday basis. If you are a catcher, um, one thing I found interesting. I mean, and their numbers aren't that different, but and, and this is you know probably an example of where you know a pitching staff plays a part and all that. But you know, if you talked about Jesus Montero and Austin Romine. And as far as the reputations, the reputation is Montero is, you know, this really good bat who probably will end up having to move off the position down the road. And Romine is, you know, kind of an all-around catcher whose bat's, you know, probably going to be good enough to, you know, as he goes up the level, but, you know, has a pretty good defensive reputation. And it was interesting, Montero actually ranked higher on caught stealing percentage than Romine, but also both of them were near the bottom, which, you know, very well might indicate, you know, okay, that the uh, Charleston staff was not exactly one that was really comfortable holding on, you know, runners didn't, didn't yeah. allow the slide step, all those kind of things. Exactly, you know, like you said, a lot of organizations don't even let their pitchers use the slide step in, in the lower levels of the minor leagues, or, you know, some, if you're in, in low A, you probably haven't mastered the art of, especially if you're just coming out of high school, uh, you were probably a stud pitcher in high school, you probably didn't allow many base runners at all, so you probably, what do you And didn't about? really, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's one thing, it's funny, yeah, but we, we do, when we're talking to guys, you know, scouts about, especially in A-ball, about pitchers, one of the questions you ask is, so how is he about the other parts of the game? And you do hear that a lot. You hear that a lot. It's like, well, he still has to learn how to, you know, hold runners because it's just not something that he ever, like a lot of these guys in high school are pretty much told, don't worry about the runner at first base. Look, you you know, you're going to strike the next guy out. Yeah, if what you're, runner on first base? Yeah. And if he does get on, it's like, don't worry about it because, you know, you're going to strike the next two guys out. And don't, I don't care if he stole third, he's not going to read, you know, not yeah. going to score. So, but no, it's an interesting story that, uh, that Ben did, you know, baseballamerica.com slash blog slash prospects. It's right near the top. I think right now it's just under a story about how the uh, the death of the Hawaii Winter Baseball League for the second time. We had the Hawaii Winter League fail, you know, basically shut down in the uh, late 90s. They resurrected it three years ago, and now it's gone. We're going to be going, looks like, to having two leagues in Arizona. We'll have the Arizona Fall League. We'll have, under it, we'll have the uh, 
kind of uh, the the junior Arizona Fall League or whatever name they're going to put out to it, which will kind of cut down on uh, on you know travel expenses, scouting expenses, you know, for for teams as they scout it. That was one of the little tidbits that came out at the very end of the winter meetings. You know, kind of that decision was made, which led to the Hawaii Winter League announcing that they're going to have to shut down. But kind of what everyone followed during the winter leagues, you know, during the winter meetings was. Okay, you know, there was several trades, there were several free agent moves. So, looking at it, who did you think came out of the winter meetings, you know, who do you say, hey, they really had a really good winter meetings, and who do you say, man, I don't know what they were kind of thinking there? Well, I think the, you know, the Rays, they didn't make a, a huge splash out there, but, uh, you know, one move that, that comes to mind that I really liked that they did was, you know, trading Edwin Jackson for, for Matt Joyce. Uh you know, Joyce, you know, he, he was platooned a lot this year. You know, he hasn't really shown a significant platoon split throughout his career. Uh, but he, he's a guy who can step in and, and fill in right now. I think in an everyday role for the Rays, you know, maybe they do end up platooning him uh, in, in that role. And, you know, he can be effective in that role. Uh, but they traded him for Edwin Jackson, who, you know, to this point in his career, really hasn't shown that he can be, a, you know, anything more than really a four or a five starter. You know, he throws hard, and it's great, and, you know, there's always going to be a market for a, a guy who can throw in the mid to, to high 90s with a with a mid to high, to high 80s slider. Uh, you know, on the other hand, you know, I, I think the Rays are, are pretty smart people. You know, if, if they couldn't fix him uh, or, or get Jackson to, you know, really develop and, and reach his ultimate potential, you know, I have a lot of respect for, for Rick Knapp and, and, you know, everyone in the Tigers organization as well, but... You know, I'm not certain that the the tires are magically gonna, you know, you know, snap their fingers, flip a switch, and and turn Jackson into a, you know, a real real star or anything like that. So you you know now you have Jackson who's you know three years of arbitration eligibility left. Joyce who has, you know, you know his his full uh, service time ahead of him. So I really like that move for the Rays, and, and certainly they're you know they're not lacking in any any pitching yeah, talent yeah, in the, the rotation. Not, that's not a problem considering they still have about you know. You know, they've got David Price just basically to plug in as the uh, fifth starter, which that's a pretty good fifth starter to have there. You know, he won't be the fifth starter for long. He'll be the number two, number yeah, three it's before, a, you know. a fifth starter in name only. Yeah, and then, but then behind that, right, you still have the Jeff Neemans and all the world who, you know, if an injury happens, you they're still covered as far as starting pitching. I, I do think, I'll even give Raids credit, and like, they actually turned Edwin Jackson. Like you, you said, like, you know, it's if the Rays couldn't get him to become the, the number one, number two starter that, you know, or, you know, way back kind of was the projection for him, I give the Rays credit in that they kind of took him from, I mean, he was essentially a failed prospect when they got him. They were able to get him to that point where he is a, you know, a major league starter, a number four, say, and then turn him around and, and trade him for a lot more than what they gave up for him. So that, you know, it's also kind of credit to the Rays. Hey, they took, they bought low and they sold higher than, than what they, you know, than what they they bought in the case of uh, Evan Jackson, I do think. I mean, it's it's kind of a very much. I mean, the the Mets have a lot that they needed to do. I mean, because hey, you know, they're basically in the situation where the Phillies now can rightfully the Phillies can call them choke artists. That's you know, that's a that's and pretty funny to say. Yeah, that's you know, that's pretty. And they did. Cole Hamels did. But I do like what they did as far as I mean. That was a pretty busy week, but they really have kind of recast their bullpen now in a way that. You know, it, it's to me at least. It, it they spend a lot of money to do it, but you know they twelve a twelve player trade, which we don't see twelve player trades very often. But you look at it, and it's like I don't think they really gave up a whole lot there. 
they get JJ Putts back. I mean, you may disagree, you may agree with me. I don't know, but I, I you know, I just thought they come out of this going, you know what? Okay, at least we fixed kind of what was the uh, the giant uh, sucking wound of the uh, 2008 team. So you know, they're in better shape now, I thought, than they were going in. Yeah, you know, sometimes you can you can think you can maybe get a a reliever cheaper or something like that, but you know, these are two guys who have a you know an extensive track record uh, of being very successful major league bullpen options. And we know it's not just a fluke or anything. You know, some guys put up, you know, kind of fluky numbers in the bullpen right. sometimes. K- yeah, but in K-Rod's case, you're talking about just flat-out nasty stuff, you know, for right. five, six years now. So, we, we, you know, we've you know, we we've seen these guys pitch for, for several years now. We know the stuff kind of backs it up. So if you have these guys, you know, making it a, a seven-inning game, that's, you know, it's certainly a valuable weapon to, to have and, and to be able to shore up a, a position of weakness from the from the previous year's team. And I think that was certainly a good move uh you know, I think I think Andy, Andy Chavez is, is underrated. So I was, uh, you know, if I think if you're a Mets fan, you'll probably be disappointed to see him go. And he's just he's just fun to watch play. I mean, I just love watching great defense. I wish, uh, you know, I, I you know I'd rather watch a good web gem than a, than a home run any night. But uh, you know, so I think he'll be missed a little bit. But uh, you know, I certainly being able being able to upgrade the bullpen like that, uh, giving up the the pieces that they did. Yeah, you know, I think it was certainly a you know a nice way for the Mets to upgrade the the 2019. But well, before we wrap up, I'll throw out. So, what do you think? What's the team right now that you think? Okay, we're heading into kind of the the Christmas lull when usually, I mean, this year there's a lot more still out there. I mean, you know, we still got you know Teixeira, we still got you know Manny Ramirez having you know having to decide where they're going to play, and in Manny's case, maybe it's just deciding when he's going to take the Dodgers off or if, or if he's going to become a National, which I who knows struggle to believe, but who knows. But what do you think? I mean, what team out there has kind of, I guess, the most of the of the teams that we consider like you know playoff contenders? I'm not talking about you know the Royals have a lot to do, the Nationals have a lot to do, but they're not really you know playing to win it in 2009 probably. What do you think? You know, which team out there still kind of has the most work to do now that we are really kind of out of the winter meetings? Uh, well, I think the Yankees certainly upgraded their their pitching staff, and you look at their their starting rotation right now. Yeah, you know, it's certainly got to be one of the greatest uh, strengths in in Major League Baseball. The rotation with, you know, Sabathia, Burnett, Wong, Chamberlain. You know, it's 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 a certainly a great starting rotation. You know, maybe Phil Hughes, the guy who was one of the best pitching prospects in baseball, and finally comes through this year. The funny year. thing is, is they're talking though, like, no, you know, well, they still may go out and get a Derek Lowe or uh, you know, I mean, exactly. Ben Sheets. I mean, that that would be just wow. You know, they're really throwing money at it. But uh, but but I think you look at their lineup and they're still. Uh, you know, it's the AL East. You know, maybe if they were in the the AL West, they wouldn't have to. But you know, I think in the you know the American League East now, you have to compete with the Rays. You have to compete with the Red Sox. You have to compete with the Blue Jays. In a couple of years, you know, Matt Weeters and and his uh his Orioles there are going to be a, a team to contend with too. So, uh, you know, I think the the lineup is still uh there's there's still some things they could address with the lineup in terms of you know upgrading the offense as well. I think a lot's been done on the run prevention side with the you know the acquisitions they've made but, with Sabathia and Burnett, but at the same time, I think uh, I think the lineup could could still use a. That, yeah, I mean, if you're ranking, li- I mean, you're comparing the Red Sox and the Rays, it's hard to say they're not the third. I mean, they're definitely third out of those three. You know, as far as lineup, I mean, because yes, A Rod still is you know an outstanding hitter, and Jeter still is you know he's not what he was you know at one point, but he's still very productive. But there are still you know a number of questions in that lineup. Of, okay, you know if. It does seem to me like right now, especially six, seven, eight, nine in that lineup, unless they do some things, is is still pretty thin. Yeah, I think the the one other position is uh, 
you know, it's hard to imagine a, a Red Sox catcher who isn't Jason Veritek. Uh, you know, I think the, you know, Doug Mirabelli, Kevin Cash have, have kind of been used in there uh, in, in recent years, you know, obviously catching Tim Wakefield. Yeah, basically whoever you, can catch a knuckler. Yeah, so, I mean, you see the the, the pretty dramatic drop-off between Veritek uh, versus versus some of those guys, and, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know what the Red Sox are going to do. You know, I, I still believe in Veritek. I think I would... You know, certainly a one-year deal or a two-year deal worth even, you know, $20 million to me. You know, if I were the Red Sox, I'd give that to him. And, you know, not even considering some of the intangibles that he brings. You know, he had, yeah, he had, a, you know, he had a down year in 2008. But, you know, you look at his 2007, his 2006. I know he's getting a little bit older, uh, so he's going to decline. But I think I still think he can bounce back a little bit to that, you know, a, a mixture of those last three years uh, uh, that he has done. So whether they do end up bringing him back with uh, – you know, a two-year deal or, or something like that, or they go out and uh, acquire a... You know, there's certainly a lot of minor league catchers, you know, as we, as we talked about before. The year of the catcher, 2008. You know, there's certainly a lot of talented catchers out there. You know, unfortunately, the Red Sox, you know, they have Mark Wagner, they have uh, Exposito a little bit lower in the farm system, but you know, th- those really aren't the solutions uh, for 2009, I don't think. So it'll be interesting to see know how they do fill that void and I don't think I, I don't think the Red Sox are really a team right now that's really in a position to kind of just unless it's a Matt Wieters type which they're not going to get you know uh, a, a stud catching prospect I don't think they're in the position to kind of just to put a rookie in there you know as kind of the guy I mean yeah. so and the interesting thing is is now we're a little later in the offseason where there aren't you know the number of options out there are kind of dwindling I mean also, the options maybe for Veritek, where Veritek would go otherwise, maybe dwindling too, which may help the Red Sox and Veritek get back together. But it, it is a situation where, you know, that's definitely a position that has to be addressed in some way. I, I can't imagine that there won't be some kind of move we'll see over the next, you know, month or two to kind of get that fixed before spring training. But, well, I'm J.J. Cooper and uh, been joined by Ben Badler. We appreciate you listening to the download of another Baseball America podcast. We will be taking next week off. We, uh, we will not be podcasting on you know Christmas, basically. We will, we will take that one off, but we'll be back for the new year. Uh, so happy holidays to everyone, uh, you know, whatever holidays you celebrate. And thanks for the download, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.